0: This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. We have the young Ruth who has let go of everything. Imagine you guys had to let go of mum dad, your home, all of your friends, all of the money and stuff that you had in your room. You even had to leave the whole of Australia and even your God, which would never happen here. But in Moab, they had false gods. And this young girl, Ruth, let go of all of it to come and believe in the one true God and join herself to God's people, meaning she would have come to a bunch of people like us in the church, Christians. Now, I wanted to ask you this question. Have you ever had to let things go, like Ruth, to follow God? All the more senior Christians here are just like heaving under that one, like, yes, I have suffered much to follow Jesus. And last week, if you remember, we spoke about now Hands up if you know what this word means. We spoke about God being sovereign. Does anybody know what sovereign means? So God has a plan that he set in motion. When God created the world, he set it in motion, and it's all happening according to his plan. Now, God is not the one that caused evil. God is not the one who caused sin, but even that, He's going to sort it out. And he, even if we do sin and do evil, other people do it. He's going to make it good. All right. And so we talked about that and being a part of God's plan. But when God's got a plan, what do you think would happen if your plan is different to God's plan? It's going to look like kicking and screaming, isn't it? I said this morning, it's going to look like you're going through a dark forest full of rose bushes. Who knows? What rose bushes have on them that can get you? Thorns, is it? So if we are kicking against God's plan, it's going to give us cuts. It's going to give us bruises. It's going to be dark in there. But also it's going to have of a headache and sweat because we're pushing against God's plan. Now, here's the funniest part. Even if with all your strength, you try and fight against God's plan, is that going to stop his plan? I remember a man named Jonah, he tried to go, God said, go that way to Nineveh. You know which way he went? He hopped on a boat and he went that way. So God sent a storm, they threw him over, and he got gobbled up by a fish. Three days later, he got spat up where? Nineveh, that's right. Didn't stop God's plan one bit, one bit. And so there's another way. So we can kick against God's plan, but there's another one where we can maybe find a little nice grove. Maybe we've done this out at a park or something. And you've got God in your life. You believe in Jesus, but you just decide to take a nap. You're not doing anything with your faith. You think, no, I'll I'll follow God tomorrow. I'll do what he wants tomorrow. And you just really, really stagnate in your walk with God. I like to call this neglecting God's way. Now, is God's plan going to go on even if you're lazy? Yes, but it's just not really loving. Should we neglect God? No. Should we ignore the fact that we are Christians called according to his purpose to live righteous and good and loving lives? We don't want to neglect that at all. But then there's a third path. It's a pretty hard path. It's the steep hard and sometimes slippery road of following after God, heading up to heaven. You imagine heaven is really high, going up that hill. Sometimes we're going to slip, sometimes we're going to get hurt. But even then, as we're following God, He is going to look after us and give us the strength. He, sometimes when we can't stand, will have to carry us. But that's someone who's, yes, God, I want to go according to your plan. Whatever your will is, that's my will. And I'm going to follow you no matter the cost. And that's Ruth. That's what she did. She followed God and lost everything. You know, even her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, said, it's hopeless to follow me and go to God. But I want to ask this last question of you guys Are we ever hopeless if we trust in God and have him always with us? If we have God with us, we are never hopeless. And he is always with his people. So now I want to continue the story. We've got Naomi who's upset because she lost her husband and her two sons. And we've got Ruth who lost her husband, but she's still trusting God. Ruth has got strong faith. Naomi was feeling really bad and upset. Let's read on. This is Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, take note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother in law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned. And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter... Don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family. There is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he will not... As surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, she poured into it six measures of barley, And placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Now today, we're going to be talking about working alongside God's sovereign plan. So we don't want to be in the thorns kicking and screaming against God. We don't want to be laying down lazy in our faith. We want to walk with God no matter where the plan takes us. Now, the plan of God in your life could be you as Boaz, the rich man. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that if that's God's plan. You could be very, very poor like Ruth, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's God's plan. But how, in all circumstances, can we as Christians glorify God, make Him look great? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. What do we do while awaiting or forging through God's plan? And again, what I touched on was being the heart and hands of God. And I'll explain what that means. The heart of God is maybe you expressing your love for God. It's coming from you. It radiates from you the love and adoration that you have for God. Like when Boaz met the servants, his workers, and he acknowledges them in the name of the Lord. And it excites them to what? Acknowledge the Lord and glorify him back to Boaz. You're a person that has the heart of God that is demonstrated through your radiance and maybe through your speech and your good actions. But it's got to be more than that. You see, here's the example, and and I'll use it again. James gives it for us. It's a perfect example. If there's a poor person that you meet, uh, you, you rub them on the back and you say, oh, may God bless you and fill your stomach and clothe you and then you pat them and say, and on your bike. Like, there's a problem with that. What's the problem with that? If someone's hungry and someone doesn't have enough clothes and they're cold, is it good to pray for them? Yes. yes. And then do we pat them and let them go? No. Uh-uh. What we should do is help them as well. And so we see that we can be the, we can be the heart of God to that person. But then we also want to maybe at our wallet or, or, or get some clothes out of our own cupboard or a blanket and some food out of our cupboard and love that person by being the hands of God. Isn't that funny? It's like, I pray that God blesses you. I pray that God feeds you and looks after you and then you end up being the what? Answer to your own prayer. Now there's going to be problems, guys. problems, guys, when you get older and no one is going to be able to help you. No money in the world will fix some of the problems in some of our lives. And that's the time where we just pray and know and trust that God is going to get through it. But if it's within our grasp to help someone to be the hands of God in their life, we want to do that. We're not all talk. You know that? Like, I think that's an Australian saying as well. Like, who cares for someone who's all talk? Where's the action? And that's the life of a Christian. We glorify God, but then also demonstrate that glory through our actions. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So when you do things, don't do it for yourself. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Did you hear what I said? Count others more significant than yourself because there's a great example here if if i decide because remember we talked last week about ego and pride if it's all about dan if it's all about me that's one person trying to very grubbily uplift myself You know, so the pride and the ego, the I'll step on you if it allows me to get ahead. I'm I'm about me, and I'll I'll help you if it serves my purpose. It's all greed and selfishness, and it's one person uplifting himself, which is let's be honest, we might we might not admit it, we might know people like this, we won't say it, but it's deplorable. But imagine this, and this is the community that God wants for us. Is imagine if all of you were trying to uplift me and I was trying to uplift all of you as I could within my means and my power. So instead of one person in a very selfish way trying to uplift themselves and get ahead on top of anybody else, imagine having 50 people, 100 people all trying to serve me for my good as I try and serve them and we're all propagating and uplifting each other. That's the life of a Christian. It's meant to be. But you've got a world out there that says the way forward is individualism. It's all on my shoulders and there's no one else to look after me but me. And honestly, I feel we need to continually speak into this because it's hard to let go of autonomy. Do you know what autonomy means, guys? It's hard to let go of me being the center and the important one of my life. I want to do things my way, by myself, instead of opening my heart, instead of opening our hearts to one another. And my point to all of this is we can be the answer to someone else's prayer. As simple as that. You can be the answer to someone else's prayer. And like the example I gave with the poor, you can be the answer to your own prayer. Lord, I pray you feed them and look after them and warm them. And just before you go... Boom, there it is. But I say all of this because this book, Ruth, chapter 3, is all about what I've just described, about one another uplifting and looking to the good of others rather than themselves. And we see it in the first verse of Ruth, chapter 3. What does Naomi, the mother say, uh, mother-in-law, say, mother say to Ruth? My daughter... I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, is this mother-in-law thinking of herself and self-seeking and trying to get ahead? Or is she waking up in the morning, they were really poor. These were two poor ladies. Remember, Ruth left everything, all the money and family that she had to go and be poor if that's what it meant to follow God. But Naomi gets up this morning and thinks, I've got to do what I can to help her out of this situation. The first lines. Again, Naomi's not thinking of herself. She's thinking of the good of Ruth. Now, here's another part that we might miss, and this is maybe a bit of a side project with what I'm saying here. As I said, it's God's plan. God is going to come through and do what God will do, but a part of his plan is giving us a brain. And giving us hands. And we sometimes forget that. And the example I love to use is if a farmer gets up in the morning and he says, Well, God's sovereign. God's got it all under control. I don't need to go out and plant any seeds because the, the, it'll just, God will make it all happen. Like we would scorn that farmer and laugh at that farmer and say, No, God gave you a brain. God gave you hands. Go out and plow the field, go out and put the seed in. That's exactly what these two women do. What does Naomi say? Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. You know why she's asking Ruth to do that? Because Naomi's asking Ruth, I want you to go and ask if you can marry some man. Now we could say God's got it. She's done a hard day in the field, her hair's out of place, she stinks. She's got dirt all over her. Well, God's got this. No, they use their brain. And what they've got, and she gets pretty. Gets pretty before she asks if this man can marry her. Now, Ruth has never sat about. The moment she got there, she's working in the field to serve her mother-in-law Naomi so that they can eat because they were so poor. And this is the response that Ruth gives. Imagine if someone asks you, okay, I want you to get up, I want you to go marry someone. Ruth in verse 5 just says this, I will do whatever you say some of us might be like no like what ah like we haven't even been on a first date yet this is tough but did you catch the sacrifice that ruth is making in those words i will do whatever you say see she's not kicking against god's plan in the thorny forest She's not being lazy either. She's going to get up and do these things and go and ask this man to marry her. All right, so the sacrifice that she's making is she's saying, if you think it's best for me to marry that man, I love you, Naomi. I trust you. I'm going to do it. She's given up everything, like I said. But now this is being asked of her as well. Some might put their hand up and say, that's enough. Like, God following you has taken me to places that I never imagined. Following God can take you to places of pain that you didn't even know you could handle. And he also takes you to places of joy that you never thought were possible. And instead of Ruth throwing her hands up and saying, I'm out, this is too much, she trusts her mother-in-law. She trusts God's plan in this and says, whatever you say, I will do. Now, there's one other thing that could happen as she goes to ask this man to marry her in this elaborate plan, which would be maybe not as confronting, but still pretty confronting. He could say, no, (laughs) I'm not marrying you. You're a Moabite woman. You used to worship false idols. I'm Boaz. I'm a man of high standing. If I marry a poor woman like you, what's that going to do to his status? Everything's against Ruth for this working. And yet still, she says, I will do whatever you say. She's gained to lose a lot. Now, this is one funny part in the story, guys. I don't know if you heard it, but if you were sleeping and you woke up and there was a boy or a girl sleeping on your feet that you didn't know about, how would you feel? Boaz was very scared too. Ruth says, when he finds out and he goes, what? Who's that? Ruth says in verse 9, I am your servant, Ruth. And then she says something strange. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. That means Boaz was able to save the family. But here's the tricky part. He wasn't the first in line to save the family. And I believe there's no excuse that Naomi has sent Ruth to the second in line because Naomi knows her cousins, she knows her family, but the first guardian redeemer, he wasn't forthcoming. And we're going to see in the next chapter, he actually rejects it. He has no way. He should have been the first in line to help these two poor ladies out, but he never did. And so they're going to Boaz, hoping that God will help them through him. But that's what a guardian redeemer does. They help the family. But she says, cover, put your cover, your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer. Do you know the Bible often talks about how God covers his people? Do you know when Adam and Eve sinned? Do you want to know the first thing God did for them? After God was angry at them. People miss this. The first first instance where God's angry, before he even gets to them. You know, like when you're in trouble... Does your mum and dad say something nice to you and then get angry? Or are they just like, man, I'm angry right now? Well, what happens was the first thing God does when he speaks to Adam and Eve is he gives, or he's talking to the serpent, but he gives them the promise that's going to save them. Imagine that. Okay, you're in trouble, but here's how you're going to get saved. And now I'm going to tell you what the consequences are. But then I was talking about covering. What does he do? God slaughters animals and covers Adam and Eve's nakedness, their shame. He covers that. Does that sound like an angry God? Does that sound like someone who's incensed with Adam and Eve and wants nothing to do with them? The first words that come out of his mouth is, this is what I'm going to do to save you. I'm going to send a child that's going to crush the head of that snake. And then the second thing he does after he's given them the discipline is he says, now I need to cover your nakedness. You're ashamed to be in my presence. I'm going to cover you. And so, do we see what Ruth's saying? Cover me, Boaz, with your cloak. It's not only there, but God speaks often about how he covers. Uh, Psalm 91, verse 1, says this Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in in the shadow of the Almighty. Can you see what Ruth's asking Boaz to do? Here's another one. Psalm 91 again, verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Like feathers, he's going to cover his people. Psalm 63, verse 7. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. And guess what's going to happen, guys? Boaz is going to cover Ruth's poverty, vulnerability, and hopelessness, just as God covers his people from those very same things. Our poverty, our vulnerability, and our hopelessness because of sin. I want to read one more. This is a really sad one. This is when Israel was walking out on God and God was remembering back to the times where they, were, where they, they had nothing and he came along and he married them. It's sort of the language being used here. It says in Ezekiel 16, 8, and it talks about that covering that Boaz is doing to Ruth. It says, and this is God speaking about his people, "'Later I passed by, and when I looked at you "'and saw that you were old enough for love, "'I spread the corner of my garment over you "'and covered your naked body. "'I gave you my solemn oath "'and entered into a covenant with you, "'declares the sovereign Lord, "'and you became mine.'" And he's saying that to the unfaithful Israel and saying, remember what I did for you. Remember how I loved you. I came into this relationship and you had nothing. And I covered you and I made a covenant with you like the covenant we see of marriage. That's how much he loves his people. Now, Boaz reacts in the same way. Remember I said, Naomi is thinking of Ruth. And putting Ruth above herself. But then Ruth puts Naomi above herself. And now we're going to hear from Boaz who's going to put both of these women ahead of himself. Isn't it incredible? I mean, It's just a depiction of what it should look like here because we are God's people. And I can't say it was like this all the time here. Ruth has been warned twice that there were men that might hurt her if she goes to another field. Not everyone's playing, playing by the rules here. And in this place, guess what? We're going to let each other down at times. Hence, when we do communion, if there's issues here, let's get them resolved before we come to communion. But this is Boaz's reaction as he elevates these women and, and thinks not of himself. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, because he recognizes this sacrifice, this young woman's making in order to marry him, an older man. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. I will do for you all you ask. See, he desires to look after them. Now, what's this going to do to his status? It's going to go down, helping the foreign girl out, who worships idols or used to worship idols until she came to God the poor girl I remember saying last week that some of us we may have had that feeling when you're hanging out with a friend or someone poor or someone you don't really know or you th- you maybe not think they're smart or or cool or something like that and you just don't want to be around them See, that's not the feeling God has towards us and it shouldn't be the feeling we have towards one another but Boaz had every reason to treat her from a distance like not really have much to do with her but he didn't again who out of all that i'm saying here who is this depicting the character of god we're displaying his character through our human agency so in verse 12 even then we see boaz calls her daughter he doesn't take advantage of this of her situation he loves her, but he knows that there's another guardian redeemer ahead of him. So even there, he's like, hang on, there is one other man that goes ahead of me first who, who gets a chance to marry you first. Now, as I say, I believe Naomi already knew the intention of her closest relative, her cousin or uncle or something. But he said, no matter what I feel about you, Ruth, I'm going to do the right thing by God. I'm going to ask him first because he's first in line. If he wants to help you, he does it, not me. And we see this is not a sleazy exchange. This isn't a man who's trying to take advantage of a poor girl. He's a man of honor, even when there's no one visible. It's in the dead of night and could turn into a horror story. But then he goes a step further in verse 13. If the man is not, if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Now it's just amazing the love that we're seeing where people are putting others before themselves. And the last thing he does, which is quite interesting, and I just want to point this out for the adults. And it's when he says, in verse 15, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Now, Naomi knew... As soon as Ruth came back and Ruth said, he gave me six measures of barley. When he said that, she knew exactly what was going on. She said, he's going to make sure this happens today. And there's a few reasons I've got. There was one interesting commentary I read that said as she was holding this big stack of of barley, as she's walking home, it might have looked like she was pregnant. And I thought, that's not in the Bible. It's not as clear. But there is one clear thing that Boaz knew about and maybe Naomi picked up on. Ruth wouldn't have known, she's a Moabite girl, she doesn't know, but when he put in the six measures of barley, the number six is the number for humanity, but it's also the number for incomplete. What's the number of perfection or the number of completion? It's seven. And so Boaz put six measures of barley in because there's there's an incompleteness in what's happening here, and in a way he's saying, I promise that today I'm going to complete that seventh measure. This is going to happen. Here's six, the number of humanity, the number of uh, an incomplete number, but the number seven, perfection, is coming. And so he gives that as a promise, but maybe also a wedding gift that she takes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi. Now, this goes totally against our nature. What I'm telling you today, this is God's nature, not ours. Our nature says that it's about me, self-seeking, self-serving. Even if I help you, there may be conditions attached or I may get some sick satisfaction of feeling superior or good about myself for helping you. Not just a pure act of grace, a pure act of love. But God teaches us that that should be a normal part of our life, considering others more significant than ourselves. Jesus would say himself, Jesus, the perfect example of humanity, not my will be done, but yours. When he's having a tough time with the plan of God, he goes, no, not me, you, God, what you want, that's what will happen. Again, we are surrounded by a world that tells us that it is your life to be lived your way. But I tell you, there's a far, far better way. God's way a way of joy, a way of true community. What do we do while we await or are forging through God's plan? We live to love him and love others. That's the fulfillment of the law. It's something that we should continually focus our lives upon. Something we come back to almost daily. Where is my heart? Is it inward focused or am I focused outward? Outward. Am I the answer to the prayers of someone else in their life and their struggles? Am I getting beside people? Am I loving people? Not to get anything out of it, but just to help them. Maybe, and especially help those who can't even repay me. That's the love that Jesus calls us to. Remember again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant, than yourself imagine what this place would look like if we all took it to heart and i know we do it that's not a rebuke I, I see the love that we share at church here with one another but imagine if we took it to heart made it the focus driving focus of our lives how it would further increase the love that we have here now here's some questions to close Remember how God said in Psalm 91 verse 4, He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. That's what God said to his people. Well, if we go to Matthew chapter 23 verse 37, Jesus says pretty much exactly the same thing. Matthew 23 verse 37, he says to Jerusalem, he's sad because they didn't want to come to him, he says... How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Isn't that interesting? God says the very similar thing about his people, and then Jesus says the same thing. Isn't that interesting? Next up, here's another one to think about. Ezekiel 16 Verse 8, he talked about spreading the corner of his garment over you. And then he says, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. And in Revelation 19, verse 7, that's exactly what we have in Jesus. It says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made Herself ready. That's us. Christ uniting himself to us. The same things the Father is talking about in the Old Testament, Christ is applying to himself as the fulfillment of these promises. Now, for some of us, it may be hard to understand the Trinity. We may be able to go to very obvious verses, uh, more obvious verses. But just in the simple things that Jesus says, he keeps pointing to the fact that he and the Father are one. They're operating together. And whatever the Father can say about covering Israel, guess what? Because Jesus is God, he covers Israel in the same way. He makes a covenant with Israel just as his Father makes a covenant with Israel. Because God is One in three persons. And the last one is this Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 to 21. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him. And again, and this is of Jesus, she touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. Now, isn't there a bit of a difference there? Ruth said to Boaz, Boaz, can you put your garment over me? Whereas this young woman thought to herself, I'm going to reach out to Jesus and take hold of his garment, and then I'll be made well. And guess what happened to her? She was made well. That's exactly right. And so I just want to say to every one of you here, that's an opportunity that we have today to reach out and take hold of Jesus. We don't have to be like Ruth and and lay at the feet of Jesus and, and and. and ask, maybe, will you? But be like this bold woman who knew that in faith, and that's what Jesus says your faith has healed you. If we reach out in faith and take hold of Jesus, we will be made whole. But what do I mean by that? That all your sins be forgiven, that everything that has held you back, barriers and strongholds and pains and darkness that has held you back from God, by just that simple act of taking hold of Jesus, all is forgiven. And you enter into the love. You enter into the love of God and his righteousness. That's faith, trusting in Jesus. That he died for you, that he rose again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the love of Naomi, ruth and boaz and how we can see ourselves there lord as people who also want to count others as more significant than ourselves lord we want to raise our children on this message father this world would be turned upside down if people considered others more significant than themselves but before we preach it to children let us preach it to our own hearts lord Father, I pray that you would change us. You would make us more humble, more contrite, Lord. You would bring us before your great love that is seen so perfectly on the cross where you took our sin and all of our shame. You covered us not with animal skins but the blood of your own son that washes our sin away. Please, God, would you bless each one of us and forge these truths into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.